Wonderful. I'd love to call up Johanna Michelle. Tonight, uh, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're doing something called Story Sessions, where we're going to, as part of the preach tonight, we're going to help have this amazing couple tell us a little bit of their story and test me about what God has done. Yeah, come on. Here we go. They uh, shared a little bit of it last week in a, in a short little snippet. And as they were speaking, I thought, sheesh, this is such a, a rich story, a journey of faith, of courage, of maturity, of highs and lows, disappointments, uh, excitements, and, and, and victory as well. And I think I thought, sheesh, we need to actually hear this story because this is what God is doing. He's building his church in a profound way. And it's not just from pulpits, it's actually in people's lives. And I think uh, that's what God wants to do. He wants to turn our lives into pulpits. We're able to preach our, the gospel through how we live. And I think that's what you guys have done. So before we get going, this is Johanna Michelle, Van Tonde, everybody. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you introduce yourselves to us, give us a 30-second bio of who you are, where you're from, and, uh, and tell us, yeah, about your amazing love story. My name is Johan. Hello, everybody. My name is Johan. I uh, originally come from Johannesburg and moved to Cape Town about three, three and a bit years, almost four years ago, and I work for Life Changes, kind of make the content and do all that kind of stuff. My beautiful wife. Lucky me. Hello, for those of you who don't know, I'm Michelle Fantonda. It used to be Michelle Massane. Um, we got married about two and a half years ago, so I've been a Fantonda for two and a half years. I'm originally from Durban. I've been in Cape Town for about 10 and a half years now. Uh, about 10 years, I'd say. Yeah, so it's been um, Cape Townian now, I'll take it. Um, as soon as I left Durban, I was like, bye. Um, I am a, I'm a teacher by trade and quali well, by qualification, and I am a project manager and part-time LC staff um, by trade. Is that right? Yes. That's a quick snippet. Beautiful. I love it. And let's get stri straight into the crux of it. Your life, Johan, has been marked by uh, health challenges. It's not been a, an easy road just navigating that. Why don't you let us know just as briefly as you can, bring us up to speed of one year ago, but before you get to the, the big exciting moments that has been the last year, your, your health journey. Um, okay, so 20-something uh, years to kind of briefly say, but I am um, at about... Age five, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, ulcerative colitis, which in very layman's terms, or to the way I can understand it, is essentially my body sees itself as the enemy, my colon specifically. Um, and it's quite rare to get diagnosed with that at such a young age. Um, so from age five, I s suffered with that. It has a, quite a few complications along the, the way. Essentially, my colon doesn't work properly. It didn't uh, absorb any food. It didn't, so I was constantly mal malnutritioned. What is the word? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right um, I couldn't pick up weights. I was super ill. I, um, I was on medication that then caused other side effects, heart issues, liver issues. Um, uh, one of the side effects is inflammation, so I was constantly in pain, super swollen joints, um, inter internal bleeding. Like, so it was, that was my life from five until last year sometime. It was just what I got used to. I got used to that. That was normal for me. Um, obviously, it got, had its ups and downs. I spent at least once a year or two times, three times a year, depending on how good or bad the year was in hospital for a week, two weeks, three weeks at a time. That just became normal. Couldn't spend much time in school, so I had to be schooled at home because of that. So that just was my life. I kind of 
learned it as this is what it is. This is, this is my normal. Uh, I know it wasn't normal for everybody else, but I kind of adopted that attitude as this is what I got. I got to deal with it. It wasn't always that easy or uh, we, even when I say that, it wasn't, I often didn't have that mindset, but that was the kind of kept it going like that. And, and so you, this is your life story. You, you've, got this, uh, you've got these desires to do great things for God. You've grown up, uh, which you didn't mention. In, I'm, in a, I'm a PK. A pastor's, pastor's kid. kid. Grew up in a, in a church environment, uh, an environment of, of faith. And let's do great things for God. And you've got this desire, but you're also tempering it with, but I've also got these health challenges and one foot forward. And, uh, but how do, I do, how do I reconcile my faith with this? And then you come down to Cape Town a few years ago. And then you, uh, as, as we'll say, as fate would have it, but we know, as God would have it. He would uh, align these two beautiful stories, the Michelle Massein and Johan Ventonde's story. Maybe tell us, bring us up to speed about that, that, that journey uh, of you two meeting and then falling in love and moving to your wedding day. Yeah, I'll share my side of the story pretty quickly. Is, uh, I uh, was planning on moving to Cape Town and then some stuff went down and I was like, I'll never move to that stupid city. I ended up hating it. I was like, I'll never move there. And then I felt God tell me, you got to go. I was like, well, I can't. I don't have any money. And he said, well, that's not a problem for me. Literally an hour later, I had a friend come up to me that had no idea that I was considering this and said, I just felt like I need to book you a one-way ticket to Cape Town. I was like, kind of hate you right now, but cool. <laughs> so uh, I was like, okay, cool, God. Well, I better listen to you. And so I went to Cape Town. I had stayed at a friend for a few months. I had no job. I had no plans. I kind of... I, make videos and take pictures and stuff. So I kind of did that freelance. It was really tough. I was not making any money. That was kind of me just listening to God. And it was, it didn't, I was stuck here. And I was like, well, this isn't working out. Why did I, why did I listen to, to you? And then there's a whole bunch of things along the way. But essentially, I just felt God tell me, you need to go to Life Changes. And I didn't want to go to Life Changes. Um, there was a person at Life Changes that I didn't want to kind of be around, so I was like, not a chance, I'm not going to go there. And God was like, no, 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 you should go. And I was like, no, 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 and he's like, no, I'm telling you to go. So I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> so I reluctantly came to Life Changes, and I've, I kind of briefly shared the story before, but the first day that I, I came through, I went to, um, where was it? Seamount, Seamount, which we kind of stay near to now. And I felt like it was for me. I was like, everyone was gathered for me. I felt so important. I was like, this is my church. I got to be here. Like, I felt like the main attraction there because everyone was just greeting me. Gabe, yeah. So, but I was like, cool. Well, now I got to be here. And what can I do? I can play drums. So, Gabe very quickly asked me to play drums in the band. <laughs> and then that's kind of just me. I just kind of started volunteering in the church and then. Some girl asked me to play drums uh, one day on a Sunday for her, and here's that girl. Get people to play drums for you guys. Um, yeah, so I'll carry on from that. So I remember I used to lead, well, I still do, I guess, um, lead worship at Seamount um, Primary, woman who gathered there at, when I was still Milneton, Century City, uh, Milneton, Life Changes, there we go. And um, I remember being that person, I'm like, oh, I have to go introduce myself to that guy, because I'm his worship leader, so I mean, he's a little bit weird, but it's okay, um, and anyway, so I introduced myself to him, and then just further on from that, we had carols, and I was overseeing the carols production, I was like, 
I need a little drummer boy. <laughs> I'm going to hit him up. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not what I thought at the time, okay? <laughs> so I asked him if he could play carols, and his first thing was like, I hate Christmas carols. I hate Christmas. No. I was like, that's nice. You're already rusted. So... Um, and I knew at that time he was freelancing and work wasn't going so well. So being a good worship leader, I promise, no intentions, I would drive from Tableview to Observatory to Fetchahan to back to Tableview for band practice and then go drop him off again. I always like, it's on the way, it's fine. It's just somewhere, you know, direct, it's fine. Um, and then eventually the people that he was staying with were like, you know where Tableview is, right? So it's not quite on the way. <laughs> he still doesn't know, and no, I'm joking. Um, so, yeah, so I, that, those car rides of pure innocence of just being a good person um, turned to getting to know someone and very quickly falling in love. And whoo! Um, and we've got a quick, a fairly quick love story. That's, that December, I went to Mauritius to go visit some family. He phoned me every night. Um, we chatted for like two to three hours. My cousin was like, you're just phoning your mom, eh? I'm like, yes. <laughs> That's a long conversation. Yeah, so came back to Cape Town. We dated, and then COVID hit, um, and we navigated that season together. We got engaged on the 20th of November. You can pop a photo up, because he did well, guys. Come on. Come on. He made sure the sunset was at the right space. Well, he did well. He did well. And then a short four and a bit months later, we got married. You can go to the next one then again. <laughs> on the 26th of April, and yeah, so in about a year and a half, we became friends, dated, engaged, and married. So yeah, God was in all of it. That's a quick story. And uh, what I love about that is Mish has also been, uh, grew up in the church, she's been serving the church, and it seemed like that waiting was a long time. I mean, but it just, it seemed like, it, it seemed like then when Johan came, it was like, what was I worried about? It came so fast. But, but then this journey of like, wow, it felt like a longing fulfilled. Married, now we ride off into the sunset, happily ever after. But then, within the first, just over a year of marriage, just these, these health complications ramped up. Um, why don't you take us to that sort of journey of, and take us all the way up to the, the prepping for surgery last year, and all those, those wrestlings, praying for healing, navigating that season. Get us up to that in, in your, in your well, journey. Well, I'll quickly jump in there. Um in our first, well, when we, before we got married, obviously praying for our marriage, we felt God say, like, you're going to be, like, things are going to accelerate for us. And we were like, awesome, we're going to go move overseas. We're going to go, like, lead church. It's going to be fantastic. Um, little did we know that's not what he meant. Um, and in a very, very quick space of time, things accelerated for us, but in a very different way that we thought. We had quite a few family things happening in the space of that year. Um, Johan was obviously quite sick. I went through a resignation, um, went through like financial stress and not having a job for a while. So lots happened in a space of a year and a half, um, but God was so faithful in all of it. So there was a lot of preparing for this like go, go, go that we expected, but in a completely different way. And it was really cool to see how God used that preparation. Well, we prepared for what God said, but not what we thought he was saying. Yeah, I think... I was, I was always a little bit afraid of um, opening up about my, my health struggles. They're, it's, it's kind of hard to explain to people um, what you're going through when people can't see it. So when you're in pain and you can't play drums or you, um, 
in my old church in Joburg, I played drums and then I like, passed out behind the drums while walking away. And then people thought I was making a joke. And that was kind of like, because Johan's the funny guy. And then it was like, from that point, I was like, well, why am I going to be open with people? Because no one can see it, so they can't take it seriously. So I knew that when I met Michelle, I very quickly knew that she's going to be my wife. And I also quickly knew that I had to be very open with her. So we had a conversation about my health issues. And I, I almost... I almost gave her an out. That was, that was kind of my, the discussion. It was like, this is what it is. It's never going to end. Cool. So I understand if you don't want to be part of the story. Um, thank the Lord she didn't care about that. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we, I think that this picture, I don't know if it's very obvious from here, but if you look at my eyes... They are very dark and sunken in, and it's because leading up to that, I was, I was super sick. We, like, I think my body just was getting to the stage where it just got worse and worse and worse, and there was always this, this fear of, and the doctors had said it to me, that there's like, cancer, like colon cancer is a real thing, and the longer you have this disease, it's not if, it's when. It's when you get it. So this is always in the back of my head. This is always kind of playing up. And with this disease, my liver just got worse. So my, I was like yellow. It just, everything was just felt like it was going sideways. On the one half, I was so happy. I was working for a church. I felt like God was, had called me to a place. And it, I was there, had a beautiful wife. And then on the other hand, I was so sick. Or I, I don't know, I didn't have a wife yet. I had a fiance. Um, and I, I was just so sick. It was, it was hard to get out of bed some mornings. It was the, the, the reality of this disease is also you going to the toilet 10, 20 times a day sometimes. Like you, and you can't, it's embarrassing. So you keep this to yourself. So I, even in that period, I was still hiding a bit from Michelle because I just, I was so used to, used to that. So Leading up to the wedding, it would just got worse and worse. And then after we got married, we were excited. Everyone spoke on honeymoon phase, but I felt like it was more like health issue phase for us. And through this whole period, there was these ups and downs. God can do it. I think in the first year and a half, what did we say? Year and a half. I was in hospital four times, five times. Um, so that was, and Michelle coming through daily, see me, doctors making, trying to do everything they can, and then eventually it got up to this, this point where the doctor was like, your body can't do this anymore. We, we need to do, you need to have surgery to remove your colon because you're going to die, actually. Which was a very hard thing for me to to hear because this has been mentioned to me many times throughout my life and it had been the one thing that I was like, I will not do. It will never get to that stage. I'll do everything in my power to prevent that and I will trust God with everything inside of me that he will heal me and the doctors will one day go and do a little scope and they'll be like, what the heck, this is amazing. You have like the colon of like a brand new person. I don't understand it. And I'll be like, yeah, it's God. 
And like that story didn't happen. And I was like, I was trusting for that. And then it got to that point and it was like, it was, it was a really hard moment for, for me to like to hear, but to like grasp. Because was, there was disappointment, there was frustration, there was anger, there was fear, there was just, like it was just all of those emotions. And I was worried about Michelle in this and worried about how her story and our story and just going forward because there's a reality of it. So it was just, this, the story just escalated and it felt like it, it just was going crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll never forget, we, I mean, this is a fun story, so you can have a little laugh. Um, we got married, and we came back from honeymoon, and somebody who's a photographer was like, please, we need a couple, like, can you be our couple for, like, a package, whatever. So I was like, sure, no worries. We're driving to Constantia, and Johan at that point was having to have an iron infusion or two iron infusions a month, um, just because his iron was so low, and go through some, like, um, medication that he was going through, biologics. Um, but the first iron, one iron infusion he had, he had a really bad reaction to. So he just slept the whole day afterwards. The next day we were driving to Constantia and then, was it the same day? Sorry, same day. And next minute he's like, I feel a little nauseous. I was like, open your window. <laughs> um, so thankfully he did because he vomited outside the window, which was exciting. And I don't vomit, just want to put it out there, but I have a gag reflex. <laughs> so it was lots of fun. This man was testing out in sickness and in health real soon. Um, so yeah, so he, and then he's like, oh cool, I feel a little bit better now. I was like, awesome, just keep your window open though, please, just in case. And I was done up for the photo shoot, and then he's like, I don't think I'm gonna do it. I was like, that's fine, phone my friend. I was like, it's just me, she's like, that's okay. And as we were about to pull into the parking lot, he just tried to catch his vomit, and just like the spoon in a, in a tap, just went like this. And I was like, ooh, I love you. <laughs> Window arts, trying to drive, just, and I was like, I love you, it's still love you. Um, but those are kind of the things that we just had to deal with. He then came up with a whole lot of rashes, and really scary, I think. Firstly, I've never had to deal with health issues in our family or in, our, in my life ever. Hospitals weren't really a thing. I was very privileged in that sense. Um, and now all of a sudden I was having to deal with five or six hospital visits um, as a fiance and a wife and like weird reactions to medication that's supposed to help him. So getting on the call with specialists and trying to navigate all of that. But um, somebody asked the other day, because I was telling a little bit of the story, and um, she's like, so how long into your marriage did Johan get sick? And I realized in that moment, I've never known Johan healthy, and I don't think he's ever known himself healthy. So it's quite a weird thing, even preparing for the up, we both had to navigate what's life gonna look like healthy, um, and process that. Speaking of the up, the up came a year ago, around ago, we rewind the clock, literally plus a few days a year ago. Yeah, plus minus a year ago, um, that Johan was in hospital for this big op that you had, you you had thought would never come, but you yeah. it almost was like the, the the end game of this narrative. If God didn't miraculously do a miracle, and it's, it was a, a big op, it was a, it's not a small thing. Maybe tell us about what the op entailed, and then and around maybe the the op itself and those those really dark days. Uh, I'll do my best to explain the op. So if there's any doctors listening, uh, apologies um, and mine. Yeah, and my nurse over here will better my explanation. Um, so essentially they removed my colon, um, cut a part of it out, 
and in doing so, they what they created is a, a stoma, which is my uh, small small intestine. Huh? My small intestine sticks out of my, my stomach here, and there is a bag. So it's a, a ostomy pouch bag. I'm probably getting all the names wrong, so sorry. But it's all it's over here. So it's just that's what it is. A part of my body sticks out that's not supposed to stick out, and the doctors were. This is kind of a, it's not a, a routine thing, but it's not that odd of a operation, which I found out. So there's a whole like, nursing home village, wherever they're like, just ostomy nurses. So it's like, a, it's a common thing. So I was like, I've been dreading this. It was horrible, but like, okay, it's not that, it's not that weird. Not that odd thing. Obviously, there's all the things I've got to deal with. I've got this thing attached to me now. I have this bag attached to me life. There's a possibility of maybe it being reversed one day, but they don't like to talk about that in case it doesn't happen. So there's like, this is, this is, what, it, this is what they said. So I was like, okay, well, I have no choice. I, I almost left it to the doctors to tell me, you have to do it. I, was, I felt like I was never going to decide to do it. So we, we booked it. I had a chat with work, and I think I told Fee, be a week, I will be in hospital max, and then on the second week, I'll, yeah, and then I'll be back at work, but I'll be a little bit slow while they're just healing up, but I'll be back. Just give you that. one week off drumming. Yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> sounds good. So that's what I told Fee. Fee was like, sounds good. So we did it. And uh, so then we booked the appointment. There was a bit of chaos before, because it just feels like there was always a little bit of chaos. They changed the date of it, and they booked it, and there was preparation, because I was so malnourished that they had to put me on super intense um, like milkshake kind of things to get me a little bit like to be able to fight the, the surgery. So then they changed the date because of that and I'd like prepped so much for it, it like freaked me out. I was like, not a chance. Anyway, so we, we went ahead. I played drums on Sunday morning and then the doctor's like, you gotta come early so we can give you some iron before it. I was like, okay, cool. Played drums, went and got booked into hospital. Um, Michelle was there, visiting hours ended, we still had City Church, so Michelle went through to City Church to lead worship, and then she came after that to visit me, I had an iron infusion, and then the next day was going to happen, um, and I was nervous, I slept, and the next day I kind of woke up and I was like, oh God, I can't believe, <laughs> I can't believe you've let it get to this now, it's, it's really happening today. And I was dealing with a lot of, I think I was dealing with a lot of anger on that day and disappointment and frustration. I, I couldn't believe that God didn't heal me. I, didn't, I couldn't understand it. Um, I was waiting for this miracle to happen and I was avoiding seeing all the other miracles that had happened before and post-surgery. I, I learned about a whole lot of other miracles that were happening on the side, but miracles of medical aid that was like, we will never pay for this drug. And then they paid for it four times. And like fighting for this, like all these other miracles, but I was like, you didn't do what I asked you to do for 20 something years. Almost how dare you, do you, do you not care? So yeah, I was like, okay, well, whatever, deal with it, move on, let's make it happen. 
Um, messaged Michelle. We had a chat in the morning. She couldn't come through. I don't think there's any point for her to come. I was like, don't, I'll see you after. It'll all be fine. And then went in for surgery. And um, during that time, it took a little bit longer than expected. So Michelle had panic mode, couldn't get hold of anybody, was trying to figure out what was happening. The surgery went down. Um, and yeah, because of the liver disease that I have, it just it got, was complicated. I lost a lot of blood, so I came out of surgery, I think, three and a half hours later, three or four hours later, went into ICU. They gave me a whole bunch of blood. Um, and Michelle came and saw me, and I was a lot paler than you had expected to see. And the doctors were like, it was bad. Your colon was horrible. They said that... I think the, the surgeon was like, I don't know how you are alive because your colon actually perforated three times. And I, like that kind of means that like you go into septic shock or whatever it is from that if that happens once. And it happened three times and it was basically, it was basically black. It wasn't alive. Um, just before this, I went for it, just before this whole thing happened, I went for some tests and the doctor looked at, did some samples of the colon and he's like, it's almost precancerous. That's how he explained it. And I was like, okay, no choice. We found out afterwards that it was like, he said, if we left it any longer, I would have got colon cancer because they did another test on it. So it was like the right time, got it, planned it perfectly, all those kind of things. That's like, it hit that spot. So yeah, then I came out of hospital. The doctor's like, it was a little bit longer, but you'll be okay. Surgeon kind of, as surgeons do, I think he patted me on the back and was like, you'll be fine, give it a few days and you'll be back home. So that's what I was expecting. And it didn't kind of go down like that. Um, I'll show you some photos, because it's fun to see photos. We were doing some memory lane yesterday. If you go to the next one, um, that was in July last year, one of the four hospital visits last year. I just resigned, I think, or I had like two more weeks left of work not knowing that he was going in for an op. I just felt God told me to resign, resign out of faith, had no work. Now I know why. Um, but yeah, so this was before we even knew about the op. And if you go to the next one, that was, I think, in August or beginning of September when we had just, we were waiting to meet with the liver specialist and our specialist to find out what the outcome of the scope and everything was. And that was when the liver specialist said, you need to do the op or you're gonna have to have a liver transplant in the next year. Um, and the specialist was like, you need to do the up or you're going to die. <laughs> it was like, so that's kind of when the doctor said, it's time. And I remember coming to visit you in the hospital because um, we'd been praying. We were praying at church. Most weeks you had moments and there's faith. You know, we were all, hey, God, we want to see you move. And then, um, and, I, and I find myself being a man of faith most occasions. And, um, and I remember walking in uh, and with Mish and, uh, and we walked in and, and we sat down and uh, I saw Johan. And I realized, uh, this is not good. <laughs> and, uh, and I tried to keep my face uh, as best I could. Like, wow, still faith and praying. And I, and I just started to realize that this, again, it, we knew how serious it was, it was but there were, the recovery wasn't kicking into gear. And maybe you can share about those real motions. Maybe start with you, Mish, just around your own navigating that space um, and realizing maybe this, this, the story might not end the way we thought or hoped. Yeah, so the specialist and the surgeon both said that Johan would spend like max 48 hours just getting used to stuff um, in ICU and then he'll go to the general ward for about a week just for his stoma to kick in um, and he said marshmallows help so I 
stocked up on like four bags of marshmallows. I think I still have some sitting in the cupboard. Um, we stocked up on marshmallows. Um, yeah, so two days in ICU went by, and then three days went by, and then 10 days went by, and then 11 days went by. Um, he was in ICU for a total of 12 days, so 11 nights, 12 days. Um, things from about the Wednesday, the third day, things just went downhill very quickly. Um, I remember when Gabe and Michael, another elder in the church, came to pray. It was just before that Johan's mom came to visit because she was feeling a little bit stressed. Um, and Johan had told me, I need my dad to come now. And then I knew things were bad. I knew Johan's mind had almost given up at that point. And he said, and I need Gabe to pray for me. I need him to pray. I need him to anoint me with oil. I need that. So, oh, sorry. Um, yeah, so I think, and that same day, the, while Gabe and Michael were praying, and Gabe was making jokes about Johan not being, having to wear pants for 10 days. It's my, it's my defense mechanism. <laughs> when stress hits, I make jokes. Michael was on the one side of the bed looking white as a sheet and very panicked and with a big bottle of oil, <laughs> and Gabe was making pan strokes. It lightened the ICU <laughs> in, tr in serious moments called Gabe. <laughs> but um, the specialist pulled me aside, and he's like, things aren't looking great. Um, if, if, there's a t if there isn't a turnaround by tomorrow, and basically if Johan wakes up in the morning, he'll have to spend another th at least another three weeks in ICU. Um, and at that stage, I was like, the doctors have given up. Johanna's given up, like what now? Um, and I think in the whole season, and it's very weird, because I look back and I'm like, I don't understand it. I wasn't stressed, I wasn't worried, I was very, really emotional. Like it didn't, didn't it sounds terrible, because I love him, <laughs> but it didn't phase me that he's in ICU, because I'm like, obviously it's gonna be fine. Um, and maybe it was a little bit of just me positive self-talk, but I think obviously knowing the God we serve, whatever happened, happens, and I know God will get me through, um, but yeah, so every day I would go to ICU twice a day, and the hours between visits were horrendously long, um, and Johan was in a lot of pain, pretty much sleeping the whole time. His stomach was very distended from and blow, blown up from the infection that his liver caused in his, in his abdomen area. His infection markers were through the roof, um, his, he wasn't eating, he wasn't taking any food. Um, if you go, you can actually see some photos. If you go to the next one, that's as he came out of ICU, or out of his op, sorry, still looking quite cheerful. And then you go to the next one, that was the next day um, when he started to feel not so cheerful anymore because he's like, I was supposed to go out today. And if you go into the next one, that was my mom came to visit. And that day, I think about... Two hours after that was when things went really bad. He went into serious fevers. Um, he wasn't getting oxygen. They had to put him on oxygen through the night. Um, and then all the, all the things happened. <laughs> yeah. And I know for you, Jan, you've told me, um, said that, that that week his mum came down. His mum started reading, your mum started reading scripture over you. And he said in his head, that's when he knew, I'm probably going to die. Because people don't read scripture over you unless you're dying. That's what he thought. No. Nope, this is it, and uh, and I'm not no jokes. That was you were you thought that was it, and uh, I know, Miss, your story is that you started to even think, okay, in your planning mode, let me start prepping the eulogy for my husband, and 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 I don't want to, we're not trying to dramatize this because this was real. I'll be dead honest. I I thought I was so set in my honest. I pray for faith, and, and there was community. We had people praying in uh, different moments. They were at the hospital, came at church, at different spaces, praying with faith. God, do this miracle. Um, but inside, going, uh, going, okay, how am I 
what, what, how am I going to walk the season with Mish when her husband of two years is dead? And, and, and how are we going to tell, how are we walking this with the community? And, and trying not to even get there, but going, okay, God, how do we navigate this of the pastoral responsibility and staying in faith? Maybe, maybe just quickly frame that for us. How do you, and then, and then we need to press on for time's sake, but faith, how do you reconcile faith and, and, and doubt? It seems like because uh, we sold the gospel, it's just, come on, believe God. And if there's ever any doubt, it feels like, no, you're not believing God. And yet, we see in the gospels that, that those two do coexist. And Jesus is not insecure about them. Um, yeah, that, it was a, that season was a dark season. That, that period of, of everything was quite, was quite a weird period because it was, every time I woke up, I was, Michelle and I were going through the messages yesterday. I was like, please pray. I'm in so much pain. I don't know what's going on. It's not how it's supposed to be. Um, I, I just, I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. I felt so helpless. I felt, I felt a little forgotten by God. And I remember that the one night it got, it got to the point where I was done. I was like, I'm, I'm not going to do this. You're not, you're not looking after me. I felt bad for Michelle. I mean, the trooper that she is, every time she walked in, she walked in with a smile and it like made me so happy. And, but I got to that point where I was like, cool, well, you're not going to help me out, God. I, I can't do it. So the one night I, I was lying in bed and I was like, if I, if I wake up tomorrow morning, I'll fight. I said, I was like, if you can help me with that, God, then it'll be okay. I can do it. And I think there was this, because through this whole period, there was like people sending videos Praying, they're like praying for me, people messaging me, praying for me. I mean, I'm still hearing of things of people like gathering on Fridays and like before work praying for me. It blows my mind. People like, like people all over the world, this church gathering, praying at meetings, praying on a Sunday at church. Like, like they, it was so hard to, to kind of grapple with because I knew that God could do it. And I've seen God do crazy things like that. Like I've seen I've seen God make legs longer. Like I've seen him take people that are literally dying and the next day they find. Like I've seen God do that. And I was like, I know he can, but why not? Why not me? And I know that, like I know that now I know that God's done it to me. <laughs> the thing that I was upset with, I was like, you're not doing it for me. And I think because I was waiting for like a movie moment, whoosh, here I am, doctor walks in, I'm like, I got my bags ready to go. Like that's kind of what I was picturing. But I was grappling this thing with like, with, with trying to kind of, I can't, I don't know, God, why are, you, why are you allowing this? And I got to that next morning and I was like, I think I woke up and I was like, why did I do that? Okay, now I've got to do this. I was like, okay, God, you, you did it. You got me through today, last night. I didn't think it was going to happen, but now I can do it. And it was almost like, I, like this faith kind of happened. I was like, God did that. I know he can do more, and I know, he, I know what he can do. And I think that was the, like, it was like two days later or something that 
like the same day, everything started changing. Like my blood work, the doctors were coming back and they did bloods and they were like, I don't know why this is looking so much better. It makes no sense. They're like, this doesn't happen. Physically, this is not a thing that happens. And it was like, I, I think I got to the point where I couldn't do anything myself. And I was just like, God, it's got to be you or nothing else. And then God showed up in a way that I'm here today. And my wife that was driving home that night crying because she was waiting to get a phone call from the hospital to say he's not around anymore was like driving to see me in the morning and I was like, I can do it. Like that, like was that, that was the difference in a, in a night because I, like, I was like, God, I can now. You've got this. There was a, there's a scripture that I obviously really like it, but I always forget where, it's, um, where the reference is. Um, it's Isaiah 41, um, verse 9 and 10, but the end of verse 9, it says, For I have chosen you, and I will not throw you away. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. And when, like, going through all this journey of this kind of stuff, I, I, weird how that scripture always just pitched up. And it pitched up so much that I was like, flip, I've got to do something because I keep forgetting where that reference is. So I tattooed it on my leg because I was like, I can't not forget about it. And it's, this sounds a bit of a, like, it's, it sounds a bit stupid when I say it out loud, but I spent a lot of time on the toilet with that disease. <laughs> and I got the tattoo right here. <laughs> So every time I was on the toilet, I saw, do, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. And sometimes I didn't notice it, but sometimes I was like, yeah, get up, go, go out. I'm like, actually, it's okay. God's got that. And there were these moments of God pulling through in ways that I was like, this is not, like, I should have died multiple times because of just how bad my body had got over the years. And that was like the final part where I should have died. And then God was like, that's not the end of your story. Not that, that's not a full stop, there's a comma. So yeah. Well, uh, I just think it's, uh, we've been, sometimes we sold in this uh, Instagram reels, the highlights of a world that we live in, of just like, you know, victory to victory, you know, onwards and upwards. And from, you know, just this, this like mountaintop experience after mountaintop experience with God, when actually the reality is God does say very clearly, he says, you, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be there with you. He is a God who says, he reveals himself, says, I am the lily in the valley. He is a God who's not a, uh, the faith and doubt. I love it. in Matthew 28, Jesus risen from the dead. And it says, they, and he comes and says, I'm here, guys. I'm back from the dead. Christ has risen. It says, and they worshiped him, comma, and some doubted. And I've always underlined that and some doubted because I'm going, what more proof do you need, guys? And yet Jesus, the resurrected king, it doesn't say then he rebuked them in their doubt. It doesn't. He allowed them to walk with him in that journey. And I just think there's this incredible reality that you, you only experience something of the truth of who God is in fullness when you go through these stories. Uh, there's stuff that's so rich. But maybe speaking of mountaintops, maybe take us on that journey. Uh, just for time's sake, take us on, I'll push us a bit forward on from the hospital in the last year, what God started to do. For sure. We'll go through some photos quickly. So if you go next one, that's him sitting for the first time. Next one, that's probably his last three mouthfuls he had of food for 10 days. Um, thank goodness for, that's when he was really sick. <laughs> Got to take those photos as well. That's when his mom came. And then the next one I think is his mom reading scripture over him. And then 
The next one is his first little walk when he was in general ward when God did a thing. And then the next one, that's when he got home for the first time. You can see he had lost 14 kilograms in hospital. That was a nice. And then this on this side is when he left hospital the first time. And that is when, this was literally the other day, so exactly a year. This is what a difference a year makes. Um, and then before we, they're the tattoos. <laughs> but before we go to the next one, I think, I know Gabe, you asked about in doubt as well. And I think for me, a big thing in that season, there were moments of doubt, but I, I felt God say, stick, well, like, keep serving. And I was just like, everyone was like, you're being ridiculous. You can have time off. And there wasn't a moment, and this is not like a, yay, go Michelle, or tooting my own horn, but the church has taught me to mourn. The church has taught me how to deal with trauma. The church has taught me how to celebrate. So why would I not stick to the church in my trauma and in my lows? Um, and I would come straight from visiting hours to go to church or from church to visiting hours, leading worship pray, at prayer meetings and that. And again, not celebrating me, but just encouraging everyone that the community is where it's at. I think it was the people that reminded me like, hey, we've got a prayer meeting going. I'm like, for what? For your hand? That's wild. Thank you. And in those moments, like, I stuck close to community because I knew those are the people that were pointing me to God when I may have, like, not looked that direction. Um, so, yeah, and then um, if you go to the next one, Johan came home, and then he got sick again and had to go back into hospital and had a training patch. So that's Enerjade in the black label bottles, just to clarify. <laughs> it's a good friend who wanted Johan to feel normal. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, so if you go to the next one, it's just community. I had people bringing me meals every night for two weeks and flowers and, and a chair for some reason, a rocking chair. And the beautiful Danny Majorzi baking stuff that our dietitian recommended and wow. she knew that I wouldn't have time or the capacity and Danny's like, it's fine, I've got it. It's making packets and packets of bone broth that I think are some are still in our freezer, but just that's the power of community. And the power of community, I think, encouraged... Johan to just keep going, um, to get better, and fast forward a year later, or just shy of a year later, he decided, well, now I can exercise because I'm healthy, and then you can tell the story, my love. Yeah, I, uh, just to bring it, to make it short, I, for the first time in my life, felt healthy enough to do anything. I wasn't waking up with pain, I wasn't spending the whole day on the toilet, I wasn't, um, like I was picking up weight, I'm the heaviest I've ever been which is not usually what people celebrate, but I'm the heaviest I've ever been. Me and Gabe, look at us. Um, uh, so I was like, you know what? Something I've never done is been able to exercise, and I've never been able to run because my joints were always so messed up. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to run. So I started running, and I was like, yes, you're running stupid. <laughs> like, this is a really dwarf thing to do. But then I was like, I'm just going to carry on doing it. And it got to the point where I'm like, I'm going to do something to prove to myself that I can, I want to do something to show, like, look at what God can do. And just because I can. I was like, I'm going to do it because I can. So I decided to run a, a race, a marathon. Sorry, he signed, up. he signed up to it after three days of running. So when he says he's been running, it was three days. So don't be fooled. <laughs> yeah, so I signed up to run a 46K uh, trail marathon. Not knowing what that, not that what, not knowing what that took, <laughs> and how much effort and time it would take, but um, yeah. And then I ran, and I ran every day because I could, and I was feeling better every day. And God was teaching me about like I was spending more time with God while I was running, 
And I was like, well, that's a cool thing, side effect of this running thing. And I was like, okay, cool. This is getting better. And then almost, because the day I had the surgery was on the 10th of October, and then the day that it got like really bad was on the 14th of October. And on the 14th of October this year, I ran that 46Ks and I finished it. And that's me. And that's, that's me with friends and community and crazy people that followed me around Cape Town, taking pictures, celebrating me. And that's people that were there when I was at my lowest and people that are there when I'm at my highest. And when we got to the race, Michelle pulled me aside and she prayed for me. And just before I was about to run, I was so nervous because I didn't want to not I didn't want to not accomplish it because I was like, I have, to, I have to do this to prove to myself. And then, I don't know if anyone knows Josh McGaw, who's a good friend of mine, just talking, talking, uh, looking, looking like a happy dad over there, um, <laughs> proud dad. He's just uh, gathering away and he just comes, dude, I'm going to pray for you. And he just put his arm around me and he just thanked God for what God's done. He said, let him finish prayed for me to finish, but he just thanked God for where I am now. And like the, the, the community that pulled around me, the people that pulled around me, the friends that cared, the friends that loved, the, like I just, like that was, I didn't, I'm not a normal crier, I don't cry, I only cried when I was on drugs in hospital. <laughs> I cried then, and I was crying when Josh was praying for me because it just, it's so hard to comprehend how, what, what God did, and how God can just, God doesn't need to put people around you. You can't do things by yourself, but God wants to put people around you because he wants you to do things with people. So, yeah. Because <laughs> I know you all want a little bit of a tearjerker. Your hand's going to kill me for this. But there's a little video of him finishing the race, guys. Come on, you know you want to see it, eh? Come on, Sarah. Sorry, it might be a bit loud. I think something so cool about community, and I know I keep mentioning this, but I just want you to know the importance of it, is that um, those crazy people that you saw earlier, some of them, Amanda being one of them, woke up four o'clock in the morning to be at the start line with Johan and cheer him, to, cheer him on, drove around Cape Town, clapped, hiked a few things, which Johan said was easy, <laughs> it wasn't, don't listen to him, um, and getting to points and celebrating him. And it was just really cool, I think, in that moment, obviously getting the privilege of celebrating Johan, but even in those moments while waiting for him, there were other runners passing, and we were just cheering them on, and you could literally see people's spirits being lifted. And I think sometimes we don't know the impact we have of this community, just showing up and being there, being available to cheer people on, because we don't know their stories. Um, and I know it's maybe a bit of a stretch, but actually just show up. I think in the tough times, in the hearts, in the highs and the lows, just show up, because you don't know what your showing up means to people. Lavashan shared something earlier, just with even me being on band, showing up, he's here a year later, and God's done a miracle in his story, and you can chat to him about it as well. But really, just I want to encourage you to show up, get plugged into a community, 
Ideally in this one, because it is the best. But um, yeah, I think there's something so powerful about community and obviously God in, in all of this, in our doubting, he also just shows up. Just there's this incredible narrative in the, in the scriptures about an apostle that Jesus loved named John. And John uh, is this incredible character that just seemed to uh, irritate the religious elite. And he wrote a lot of the letters that uh, finish off the, the, the New Testament. And the church history says that actually they, the religious elite in, in, and the political elite in those days in Rome didn't know what to do with John, so they boiled him in oil. And uh, he didn't die. So what John did apparently, according to church history, is he turned the, the vat of oil that he was boil, uh, boiled with over, he stood on top of it in his, in his half-boiled state and preached the gospel to the crowd that amassed around him, uh, to which they, some of them responded to the gospel. So they didn't know what to do with this guy. It seemed they couldn't kill him, so they, they took him. They left him in an isolated island called Patmos. It's like, just get him off our hands. And they thought, now we're done with John. And I, and I always think about that man, John. He's been, he's been with Jesus. He's seen the resurrection. He's now been faithful, preaching. And the fruit of his faithfulness is being cast aside. That's it. Done. Your, your usefulness is done. And it's on Patmos. It's almost those things to bring this whole thing full circle. There's this moment where John, I can imagine if I'm him, I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm actually, I'm out of it. I can't handle this. I'm in pain. I've been rejected. I don't want anything more. And it's on the island of Patmos that we get the beautiful culminating letter in the Bible called the book of Revelation. And in the start, when people might say, oh, the book of Revelation, what is it? You know, the book of the end times, and who's the Antichrist, and the, the political powers, and, and it may or may not be all that. But, but what I do know is, is the first line of the book of Revelation that John gets on the island of Patmos in his half-boiled state, it says, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the book of Revelation is actually about Jesus. And what I love is the fact, it's almost like you get to that moment, John, I can imagine John had that moment where he had to have a turn-the-page moment. Where he had to either say, I'm going to, all I've done, but actually God hasn't answered, hasn't come through, I'm out. But I'm actually going to turn the page and not, there's no victorious rescue. <laughs> and, ah, but there was a revelation of Jesus. And I, and I think your story is that. There came many moments where you had to turn the page. And it's not this victorious, rah, 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 miraculous healing. But I think it was miracle upon miracle upon miracle. A million little miracles. But that, that actually led up to this moment and seeing, actually saying, trusting Jesus. And uh, I want to say you, you guys are heroes. Heroes to me, heroes to us. Um, we love you guys dearly. And uh, uh, Misha's mom's here, Linda's here. And uh, you're a hero, Linda. You're a hero. The, these are not, it's not what you signed up for. It's not what you thought. And yet Jesus says, I am enough. And, uh, and I think that's the greatest testimony. And, uh, and yeah, I just think you've taught, you've taught us what it means to stand. As a community, you've preached the last two years, you've preached what it means to stand. You've taught us about community. I, I, I tell you about this couple who've, they reaped in community. I, I love, there's a video of Johan getting ready to run the race, and then some of the mates come around the corner with a sign saying, a massive sign saying, go, Joe, go. And I said, you'll see the video of Johan seeing it, and almost like, oh, Philip, but, but, but getting you in the, it got you in the fields. You know, just, it had the, the video had a soundtrack of Majorzy in the background. That was just, oh. That was me, definitely you know? the song. <laughs> but, but, you know, just, you the reason they reaped in community is because they've sown in community. And uh, Mish has sown in community. Mish, for many years, I think, ran so many uh, kitchen teas, bachelorette parties, serving people at weddings, serving parties. You've served people when you were like, oh, where's my husband? <laughs> no, I'm going to serve. And I just think you've served community. You've been an incredible friend to so many people. And God says, actually, I know. 
I've seen it. None of it's wasted. None, it's not to your own flesh. It's not to, and I just want to say thank you for sowing. God said, in the right, right time, you'll reap. You'll reap a harvest. And, uh, and Johan, you've sown. You've sown. You've prayed for so many people. And uh, you've fought for so many people. And you've been a faithful friend. And actually, God says, I've seen it. And I just want to say, you guys have taught us. You've preached. And you continue to preach. And this is not the end of the story. We're going to turn the page. There's a whole lot more. This is not, as you said, not the full stop. This is a victory. But God's saying, actually, there's more. And um, I'd love you to pray for us. Pray however you see fit for us as a community, because for us, this is not one of those nice, neat and tidy stories, and A, and A plus B equals C, yeah, you know, it's actually A plus B equals Jesus. And um, sickness, health, joy, sorrow, pain, discomfort, uh, in the hospital, running a race, still having to navigate life with a stoma, and, 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 and realizing what that, re- that looks like, but yet still saying Jesus is enough. And I think maybe most of us can't understand what a, what a journey of... 20 years of, of health challenges might be. But we can all understand what it means to be, actually, I don't know, God, I'm not too sure what you're doing. But help us in this moment by praying for us. So maybe we can stand, and then this incredible couple can pray and, and minister to us in this moment. Uh, while, while you're sharing that then, Gabe, I got a, a, a picture of my, my dad when I wanted, to, I wanted to drive, and I was, like, looking at cars. Like, I'm going to buy a car, cool. My dad said to me, well, you need a driver's license before you've got a car, because you're going to get a car and then you can't drive it. I'm like, actually, you know what, you're right. So I better do that first. And I just felt like, feel like God's saying that there's some, we gotta, there's some people here that have got to do a little bit of the preparation, the something before. God's asking you to do something because he wants to do something amazing. Like he's sowed the soil. What's it when you break up the soil to put the seeds in? Like you gotta, there's a bit of work in there, that it, and it's not work to do hard work. It's, it's because God wants to bless you. God wants to do a miracle. God wants to do something amazing. And yesterday when we were prepping and over the week, I just, I felt like I wanted to pray for, for healing. Um, and it's, it's, it can be a very touchy subject. It's, it can be something that you need to constantly pray for healing. Somebody needs to constantly pray for you. But I just wanted to pray for healing tonight. And if you are needing healing, big things, small things, doesn't matter. If you know somebody that needs healing, um, I'd like you to just kind of put your hands out. You can even put your hand on where it is. I, I want, I'm going to put my hand on my liver because doctors still say I need a liver transplant one day. But I'm trusting God will, will not, that won't be that story. So I want to pray. And we've got to trust God together for God to do miracles, God to do amazing things, God to turn stories, turn the page, new chapter, new book. It's done. What's old is done. What's new is to come. It's going to be an amazing testimony of what's to come. So, Father God, I thank you for, for these amazing people standing here today. I thank you for the, the people represented. And we pray right now in the name of Jesus for healing, where there is cells out of place, bones out of place where doctors do not understand what is happening, where there is disappointment, where there is fear, where there is anger. In the name of Jesus, we say, be gone. And in the name of Jesus, we say to those body parts, be healed right now. Come into alignment. That is not the way you are supposed to be. 
come right, right now in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, God, for what you're going to do. We thank you, God, for the testimonies that we're going to hear. We thank you, God, for after the service, my headache's gone. We thank you, God, for next week, you won't believe what the doctor said. We thank you, God, for, for a year from now, we're like, I remember that one night I trusted you, God, and you did something that I never believed you could do, that there's situations that, God, that you are going to change right now. There is a, a story that has been told over your life that God wants to say, that's not my story for you. That's the enemy's story, and I want to rewrite that and set you on a different path, a path of joy, a path of health, and a path of, of being with Him. We thank you, God, for, for complete healing, not partial for specific healing, specific parts of the body to be healed right now. We thank you for this in the name of Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, I thank you for this community. I thank you for people who've held up my hands and other people in this community and we just, our arms are too tired. I thank you, Father God, for faith in this room. I thank you, Jesus, for, for hearts that are so passionate and so after you, Father God, that they serve it day in and day out for your kingdom, Jesus. I pray that you'll start stirring in people's hearts where maybe people have taken a step back. Jesus, that you'll stir in their hearts, just keep pushing forward. Keep pushing into the more that you have for us. Keep pushing more into the community. Keep pushing more into your kingdom, Jesus. We thank you that you are so incredibly good and so incredibly kind. I thank you that there is always, you're always doing something, Father God. It's not by coincidence or by, by chance or just I fell into that, but actually you're writing stories tonight, Jesus. You're writing new stories. You're turning the page and writing a new chapter in people's lives, whether it be work situations, whether it be depression, whether it be healing. You're writing new stories, Father God. I thank you that you are the author. <laughs> You are the author of our stories, and we declare right now in Jesus' name, will you rewrite stories. May you raise words on pages that doctors or people or family or communities or friends have spoken over, to, over lives, and you'll speak new words into life. New words into lives and life into bodies, life into minds, life into hearts, Father God. We thank you that you're so good. You're so faithful. You're so, so kind. And we declare all of this in Jesus' name, the name above all names, the name that breaks chains. May your blood wash over us right now, Father God. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. I really want to just declare that as we land the service, turn the page. I think that's the word for us. Turn the page. Take that, write it on a book. If you say, I'm going to turn the page. On my, on my walk with Jesus, on my relationships, on where I'm at emotion. I'm going to turn the page. It's not victorious. I'm not declaring a new day. No, it's trusting Him. I'm going to allow Him to write my story.